0: Friends, we are in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 20 of this great section of Scripture. You guys will remember that this month we're doing a special series in October. We're thinking about what the mission of Columbia Presbyterian Church is, especially as we lead up into a new members class. It's a good reminder for all of us what we are here to do and what we mean when we say disciple making disciples in a church planting church. What do we mean by making disciples? So last week we began in Luke 5 and we talked about Peter's conversion and his call. And for the next three weeks we're going to be talking about the Great Commandments and the Great Commission. To love God, to love others, to love the lost. But there's already a danger here. Because if you grab a brand new convert and you throw them into the busyness of worship community outreach you might strip them of the very power they need to fulfill the things that God is calling them to do. Let me say that again. If you try to grab a convert and you try to get them busy doing loving God, loving others, loving the lost, worship community outreach, without going deeper into Galatians 2 and other places that talk about our union with Christ, we will strip them of the very identity and power that brings true and lasting transformation. If that's the kind of disciple we're making, we will create a bunch of miserable, legalistic, half-formed, half-hearted, passionless, lukewarm disciples. Anybody want to be one of those? Do you want to be a part of something like that? No, no. What will keep us from this cesspool of myopic religiosity is Jesus. The one who saved us will lead us deeper and deeper if we will return to that fount again and again to understand our union with him and what it means to be identified with him, him and us, us in him, and to live out of the power that he gives us. There are many, many passages that speak about our union with Christ. In fact, Paul references union over 200 times. You could put them on a dartboard and throw a dart and pick any one. But I wanted to take us to Galatians 2.20, which is one of my favorites. And I encourage you, write this down, write it on a note card, put it somewhere prominent, memorize this verse, think on what Paul is saying here. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm not even sure I fully understand this myself, but the God of the universe who holds everything by the word of his power dwells inside of me and I inside of you, And my controlling identity and my power in the Christian life all comes flowing from this fount. So I pray you would teach me this morning. I pray you would teach us this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit would do what he promises to do. Take his word and implant it in our hearts and truly, actively change us into the image of your son. We need you to do this. And so we ask boldly in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Friends, you'll remember that Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing it to the church in Galatia, which means that as Paul slows down and preaches the gospel, he's preaching the gospel not to non-Christians, but to Christians, right? So apparently Christians need Jesus too. Apparently Christians need to be reminded of the gospel too, and so Paul slows down and he preaches the gospel. Now we met Peter last week, when he first encountered Jesus in Luke chapter 5, and we saw Peter's dramatic conversion, it's actually Peter in Galatians chapter 2 that starts fumbling this gospel. He starts thinking about his identity as something other than being in Christ, which leads Paul to rebuke Peter and then to write this very famous section on what it actually means to be united to Christ. So even the Apostle Peter, even after three years with Jesus, can stumble on his identity and need to be re-reminded again and again what it actually means to be joined to Jesus. So we're going to slow down and we're going to talk about our identity in Christ and our activity in Christ. Who am I in Christ? Who am I really at my core? And what is the power that God gives me in Jesus to turn around and live the Christian life that he's calling me to do? That's the two points that we're going to look at. We're going to start with our identity in Christ. We've got to think about who we really are. Now, I don't know how you feel about the 30-minute coffee time between the services. That creates dread in some of your hearts. Some of you show up at 10.35, so you don't have to see anybody, talk to anybody. It's an introvert's worst nightmare, But it's also like this identity quiz, right? Because we all do this to each other when you're first meeting somebody, let me have your name, let me have your occupation, let me have your major in school, what's your family, what's your birthplace, are you Carolina, Clemson, or other? You know, we do this with each other and it's this identity quiz but since we're doing it with masks, we're going to have to do it all over again in six months when we can see each other because I've met some of you and I'm like, I love Sam. She's a wonderful person. And then I find out she's a man with a beard and I didn't know because she had a mask on. So we'll do it all again. But of course, that's like the superficial ways that we identify each other, right? Those are True things about us, and the more we talked about them, they do define us deeply, where I was born and what my name is and what my family is like. That's all part of my identity. But we know that there are things that are even deeper than that, right, that touch our hearts and define who we are, and they give us the energy that we live out of. There are things that maybe we don't even think much about that actually control the way we respond to other people. And so if we're talking about identity, let me just name a few identities that can get wrapped so tightly around our hearts, we don't even know they're there. And as you hear this list, I just want you to think and be honest with your own heart before the Lord, where is my identity coming from? For some of us, it's the identity of success, as in I am what I achieve. I am only as valuable as my next win. I am as fragile as my next word of praise. I live for success, and where it doesn't exist, I'm in a crisis. That's an idol, that's an identity. Another identity is our failures. That's the opposite side, that I I think about myself in terms of what I have failed to do or become. When somebody criticizes me, that criticism is me. That defines me. That's who I am, and that's how I live my life, responding to that. I am the gap between where I am today and where I thought I should have been at this age or stage in my life. I am my failures. For some of us, our identity is around our sin patterns or our disorders. We even use this language. I'm materialistic. I'm an alcoholic. I'm bulimic. I'm bipolar. I'm same-sex attracted. Whatever it is, that actually becomes the thing that's wrapped up in my heart, and that's what I live from and speak from. My identity is my idols. I am what I love. I am what I worship. I am where I spend most of my time every day. Our identity could even be wrapped around our righteousness. I am my success in the church. I am the fact that I've gone an entire week and haven't missed a single quiet time. I am the fact that I might not be perfect, but i at least I'm better than the guy sitting next to me. I'm more righteous than him. That's what my identity is wrapped around and left to themselves these identities, tight around our hearts, will influence everything we think and do and say. We don't even know the half of it. We don't even know the half of how we respond and what we do to certain people in certain situations are actually not what we're hearing from Scripture and from the Lord, but really from those identities within our hearts. They control us if we're not careful and the gospel is answering that heart cry and heart need with this precious word about union with Christ. We don't often talk about this and so it's so critical for us to stand. Usually when we talk about union with Christ, we talk about many of the benefits that Jesus brings. So we heard about them this morning when we think about our adoption and our justification, those come from God, those are part of what it means to be united to Christ. When I think about conversion, I chiefly think about justification, which means when I repent of my sin and trust in Jesus, God takes my sin and he places it on the cross and he takes Jesus' righteousness and he places it on me and I am fully and completely forgiven and seen as righteous before God. But that's not enough. That's good that's true, that's wonderful, but the penalty of my sin is not the only thing being crucified. Would you look again at our verse? It says it's not just my sin placed on the cross, but I have been crucified with Christ, as in My old heart, my old self, my old identity has been placed on the cross, and that is being crucified. I'm no longer defined or enslaved by what I once and who I once was. That is outside of me now, pinned to the cross, and I bear that identity no more. I am not the sum of my successes, as brilliant as I think they have been. I'm in Christ. I'm not the sum of that gnarled tangle of besetting sins or disorders that dog me every hour of every day. I am in Christ. I'm not the body I wish I had that's taller, thinner, faster, stronger, I am in Christ. At my core is this gospel word. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I preach the gospel to us this morning because I want us to see these battle lines fall and where the Christian fight will become. Sometimes it's, am I really forgiven? But oftentimes it's, What is my true identity, and who am I at my core? Now, our old self, which the Bible says is crucified and pinned to the cross, does not appreciate that treatment. It has been used to being the controlling identity, dictating everything we think and say and do, and that old self, it won't go quietly, softly, or lightly. It wants to crawl down off that cross and back into our hearts and define us day in and day out. But it's willing to make peace terms with us. Like it's okay if we will sit here this morning and hear a sermon about union with Christ. It's okay if we nod our heads and we take notes and we listen to Mike alone say amen and we're good with this theology as long as... When we leave here, it gets tucked away as a little bit of truth, this kind of thin veneer over who we are at our core, and it doesn't really change us. If we're doing that, the old self is cool with that. But if we're actually doing heart work and seeing it pinned to that cross and seeing Christ replace the old self within us, well, then that is going to be a fight. That's going to be a supernatural fight. So here's what's going to happen. God says, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he can implant this word of Christ deeper and deeper into our hearts that real change, real power, real transformation begins to happen. That I can say in the power of the Holy Spirit, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When my old self, when I walk out of here, Throws my latest failure in my face and I want to hide. Or when I walk out of here and my old self tries to woo me with my latest success and I want to brag. Or when the old self clings so hard to the last hurtful thing that someone said about me and I want to run. I respond with the gospel. That's not me. You're talking to my old self. That old self is not here. That old self has been crucified with Christ. It's not a part of me anymore. I'm a new creation. You're trying to assign a different kind of value to me, but I already have a value in Christ, and God says he loves me and he gives himself for me. I'm not my success. I'm not my failure. I am the infinite worth of God's love in Christ Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me get away from me. Get the criticism away. Get the old self away. Get those niggling thoughts away from me. I am not that. I am a new creation in Christ. Brothers, sister. that will change everything. If we allow God to implant that in our hearts, that will change everything, but that's not an easy thing to understand or absorb or live by. I was sitting with my family this week and I was so excited about this sermon. I broke out Galatians 2 at the dinner table and I just like do a dry run of the sermon on my kids and I am preaching union with Christ and the benefits thereof and it's impassioned and it's emotional and I'm telling I wish I knew this stuff when I was your age and wasn't learning it when I'm out my age now and there is just this like deafening silence that I feel that the spirit is pressing into until my youngest son puts down his chili spoon and says, dad, I don't think I understand anything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I don't either. You know, I don't either. I don't get what I'm saying. But I know the truth is here and I know the gold is here and I know if we will speak this to each other and let Christ do this in each other there is truth to be had in a new identity in Christ. That's who we are. What kind of activity begins to flow from that identity? Because if we're grounded in Christ, there is good, beautiful, spirit-filled work to be done. But if we don't understand this identity in Christ, then we will just operate out of man-made manipulation. That's why I said you can't take a brand new believer who's been converted and know that they're forgiven and know they're going to they're gonna go to heaven when they die and grab them and say, great, we got some work to do in worship community outreach. There are things you need to do as a believer That's why the Westminster Shorter Catechism doesn't put question number 39 as question number one. What should we do to please God? We should obey his revealed will. No, we got some work to do here. And if we don't do this union work here of who we are in Christ, well, then we're going to create these half-formed disciples. And this is what I mean. If you don't get this union with Christ, if you skip from conversion to busyness, we're going to land in two places as disciples. Number one, we are going to think that sanctification is all my work, pulling myself up by my bootstraps for my holiness, and you will have something that looks like frantic discipleship, or you're running away from that, and you think that this is only and ever God's work, and my role is to sit back, relax, and be passive, and that's passive discipleship. And each of us has been in one of those camps. Some of us just like to jump from one extreme to the other. And so I want you to hear them more closely so that you can prayerfully say, Lord, where do I fall in discipleship? What's happening truly inside of my heart? So number one, frantic discipleship. That's the idea that God saves me, so his work is done. He hands the baton to me, I take it. And now my role in the Christian life is to be sanctified. And if that's true, then the time when I am converted, and the time when I will die or Jesus will return, is the time that I need to begin to look like Jesus, and that's a very short amount of time for a very large amount of work, and that is crushing to a new disciple. God's work is done, your work begins, God has already saved you and given you his spirit and promises you heaven. What are you going to do for him? How is your life of gratitude going to match his gift of salvation? God has scratched your back. How are you going to turn around and in this life of sanctification scratch his back? I know that can sound like it's overstating it a bit, but if that's the impression we give new disciples, we're gonna crush them. You take a brand new disciple and you say that God's forgiven you, he saved you, he spared you from eternity in hell. What are you going to do on Monday morning for him? What are you going to sign up for and volunteer to do? How much of your money are you going to give so that you are giving back in response to what he has done for you? That will crush a disciple. You take a little child in the faith in our homes and you begin to say when they disobey... I can't believe you would do that. God has done so much for you and you can't even share with your sibling. We will crush the faith of that child. That's man-made manipulation. It doesn't produce good fruit. It can't. It wasn't designed to do that. We don't have the power to do that. It will not produce good fruit. Frantic disciples will not bear the fruit that God is calling us to do. But if it's not frantic discipleship, it can quickly become passive discipleship. Sometimes when we rightly see what's going on in there, that this is manipulation, this is legalism, we swing the pendulum all the way in the other direction, and we say, wait a minute, this is completely and totally God's work. He's designed it. He's ordained it. He's going to complete it. And so I don't really have a role in discipleship. I'm going to sit back and watch God. Well, if you have spent any time in the first camp, this browbeating, legalistic, one-upsmanship Christianity that you're just like surrounded by elder brothers who are wagging their fingers at you, it feels like this is a bomb, right? Because you're away from that and out of that and no one is talking anymore about what you need to do to make God happy with you. And it can feel like a full gospel, but it's only half of a gospel in reality. I have heard preachers say, God commands you to do this. You cannot do this, but Jesus forgives you. Go in peace. That's half a gospel. That's not a whole gospel. That doesn't even call to any transformation within our lives. That gives us no energy to mortify the flesh within us. That's half a gospel. So what do I do if I'm sitting between the frantic and the passive What are passages like Galatians 2.20 actually calling me to do? When we start talking about the Great Commandments and the Great Commission, how are we not just jumping from frantic to passive discipleship one or the other? What is really happening? I think it's so critical to see that in both frantic and passive discipleship, they share something in common. Christ and I are in two separate places. So I want you to picture frantic discipleship as a race in which Jesus is at the finish line waiting for you and you are constantly failing and falling and tripping and stumbling in your run towards with him and he is disappointed with you. That's frantic discipleship. Passive discipleship, we switch places and We are waiting at the finish line because it's really Jesus' sanctifying work that is in us and there's nothing for us to do because there's nothing we can do that's going to make him love us more and there's nothing we can do that's going to bear fruit outside of him. So we're waiting at the finish line for him and he's the one who is running perfectly and I have zero motivation to change a single thing about my heart and my life. And neither of those are depicted here in Galatians 2.20. Let me close with this. Look again at this verse. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Did you hear that paradox? I no longer live the life I live. I'm dead and crucified, I'm not alive anymore, so here's the life I'm going to live. The life that is crucified is the old self, old identity, even the old self trying to perform these new rules in God's kingdom, that is dead. And the life I live is not this passive sideline watching of Jesus. My new life in Christ is wholly integrated, with him in me, for me, through me, so that my identity is wrapped around his ownership of me, my activity is empowered by him. And Christ in me and I in Christ have new power, new energy, new impulse to love God, love each other, love the lost as God is calling me to. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I praise you that you don't save us and leave us to our own devices and our old self, but instead you crucify it to the cross. We bear our old self, its sin, and its identity no more. Would you in its stead grow this new creation life that is in you You in us, the hope of glory, that we might live with new power and and, and energy in you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.